If you try to approach Pandora like you might approach Spotify and you release a record and you do everything you possibly can to get all your fans to listen to that record on demand in the first week that it's out, that's not gonna work well on Pandora. What you need on Pandora is an audience that's listening to your station and that's thumbing up songs on your station that then starts to hear your music on other Pandora stations of artists similar to you. Hey guys, welcome to How Music Charts, where we pull back the curtain on today's music business, exploring music industry trends, music data, and the creativity that helps your favorite artists hit the charts. I'm your co-host Rutger, and you'll hear from our other co-host Jason very soon. This podcast is owned and operated by Chartmetric, a music data company that connects numbers to narratives to help the music industry leverage the power of data analytics. If you haven't heard the news, we've recently become the first third-party music analytics company to host Pandora data publicly, which includes stream counts, monthly listeners, and station ads for hundreds of thousands of artists. So we're especially excited about our guest today, Dan Wissinger and Jay Troop. Dan is currently a senior product manager at Pandora, where he spearheads the next big sound and amp product teams. And Jay is a senior analyst for next big sound and amp. He's also responsible for artist and industry insights at Pandora writ large. On this episode, we introduce you to Dan, Jay, and Pandora, explain why Pandora matters to the music industry and to artists' careers, and give you some strategies for making sense of your Pandora data. Speaking of which, if you're not familiar with Next Big Sound, it's the OG in music analytics, so we highly suggest checking it out as soon as you can. And the same goes for AMP, which is an artist's best friend on Pandora. So, without further ado, please welcome Dan Wissinger and Jay Troop to the How Music Charts podcast. Dan, you studied political science and music at Wesleyan. How did you go from that to business analyst internships and then product management at Pandora? Yeah, um, not in any planned way, that's for sure. Um, I think, you know, studying music and political science in college was great because I got to um, really dig deep on things I'm passionate about. But over the course of those four years, I think I kind of realized that trying to be a professional musician or being in politics in any way was not necessarily something I wanted to do. Um, So I sort of just reached for whatever opportunities there were in the business world. but I wound up landing at eBay uh, as a digital marketing analyst um, for my first job. And I thought that the product managers that I observed there just had the coolest, the coolest role at the company. Um, so kind of decided, you know, a year or so after college that I wanted to be a product manager and then um, just applied for product associate roles online um, and got one uh, at an ad tech company called MediaMath. Um, and I did like three, three and a half years of product management and ad tech uh, at two companies until um, one day an old colleague who had moved on to Pandora hit me up and said, hey, how would you feel about coming to, to Pandora um, as part of this little company we just acquired called Next Big Sound, you know, to help transition that company, you know, into the Pandora organization 
as a whole. Um, and I met the team and I saw the product and I just thought everything that Next Big Sound and Pandora was doing was so cool. And so, you know, now I find myself in the music industry and it's sort of, it's like a nice full circle narrative that plays out on my resume, but it was just a series of, of accidents and like just kind of taking the cards as they're dealt, you know? Mm-hmm. And Jay, you kind of also in a way went from government and music studies at Georgetown to analyst positions, including your current role in artist and industry insights at Pandora. Can you give a brief overview of your Pandora journey? Yeah. Um, well, so I, 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 uh, out of school, immediately started working in government stuff. Uh, I was helping prototype um, intelligence analysis environments um, and working with the three-letter agencies in D.C. And I wound up working with the U.N., but kind of the whole time, actually, right when I graduated, I decided, like, I really had to try working in music and give music some kind of a go because I actually kind of took time away from music all through college when I had been studying music since I was six years old um, and uh, decided that that was the wrong uh, choice. And so I, I started like pretty fervently looking for like, how could I break into the music industry? But I wanted to keep doing the analysis I was doing because I thought that this kind of analysis and this age of analysis was so exciting. I mean, I, um, <clears throat> started working on these kind of advanced intelligence analysis environments is what we called them at the time. It was basically just like trying to create an all source pl- platform, trying to solve the problem of like, if you've got satellite photos and hu- 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 human reporting and global markets reporting and geospatial intelligence. And you know, if you've got all of these different sources, how can you look at them all in the same place? Um, <clears throat> which is getting easier and easier, but in 2009 and to, to, to 2010 was still kind of an outlandish idea to do that, both like flexibly and at scale. And um, data science was first being acknowledged as a field. I think the very first data science program emerged like six months after I started working on something kind of tangential to that uh, at my first job. Um, so it was just a really exciting space to be in. And I was uh, looking for companies that were doing the same thing in the music space. And I found uh, the, this, this company, Next Big Sound, um, because a, a buddy of mine that I've made some records with went to school with them, with, with, uh, with a few of the founders. And so he, he told me about them and I started like looking into it and just basically started hounding them saying like, Hey, you know, I'd really love to be an analyst for y'all. I'd love to like help your customers better understand, um, their, their, their data and everything that, 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 that your tools can, can give them. So, um, it took me two years to actually get in the front door. Um, but, uh, then I joined next week sound in 2015 and, and I got a lot of, like sort of blank stares from both sides, both when from my my colleagues at the UN when I was leaving, and then also from folks in the music industry when I joined. But um, to be totally honest, it's the same challenge. And the challenge is just like, if we've got SoundCloud uh, plays and Spotify plays and Pandora plays and Pandora thumbs and Instagram likes and Twitter follows and retweets, like how can you build coherent model of how an artist is doing. Um, you cannot sum Instagram likes and retweets. 
And if you could add them to, 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 to together, of course, but it'll be a completely nonsense number. And like people have really struggled to figure out how can we build like a real picture when one artist's trip to the top of the charts is going to look really different from another's. Um, and so I, I just think it's a really interesting challenge to try and actually build a comprehensive understanding of what this ecosystem looks like. Yeah, I was actually going to ask both of you guys, have you been able to apply sort of any skills from like the analyzing political systems to your roles as in uh, as analysts at Pandora? Uh, I mean, to Jay's point, uh, at the end of the day, it's all about taking, you know, data, the the hard, cold numbers that on their own are meaningless, and trying to uh, model it and apply it to um, strategic thinking that's qualitative. Um, so, I mean, I think one of the most interesting ways you observe that in the political world is, um, the pollsters and, um, you know, election campaign strategists, um, and the way they analyze data, which is obviously super quantitative and helps them, um, direct resources, uh, where they need to be directed best. And, uh, you can definitely make an analogy um, for an artist's career to that, right? There are so many different platforms um, where your music is heard, where your personal brand or your band's brand can be um, shared and where you can find new audiences. So you really have to decide, well, how am I going to allocate my resources across these different platforms and, um, in order to achieve my goals? Yeah, I think to, to build on what you're saying there, Dan, like um, I see a similarity in especially two places and some some lessons from politics I try and carry in are one, keep your story straight and stay focused on the story. The story really matters about like where, where an artist came from and where they're going. Um, that really connects with fans and like that's an important um, thing for everybody on the artist team to understand kind of where they are in the story, what the story is and, and where they're trying to, 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 to go with it. But then the flip side is, is keep, keep laser focused on the goal. Um, I think, I think is super interesting about politics, at least the people who practice it much less like how we consume it is just the goal is to win and you can't govern if you don't win and your like lovingly crafted plans um, and your 60 point plan like won't matter if you don't win. Um, what actually matters, stay focused on what actually matters. What's gonna get people out to the polls? What's gonna get people to change their mind? Um, I love the, the focus that pro pro professional pump politics places on those sorts of things. And I think we have to focus similarly in the music industry about like, what are you really trying to do here? Um, and there are a lot of different approaches. You know, and I, I used to say like, um, when I started at Next Big Sound, making music is art, marketing it doesn't have to, 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 to be. Um, and there is, I think there's a lot of room in the music industry to get distracted. There's a lot of stuff out there about like shows you maybe don't want to play the pay to play stuff that some of the festivals have started doing the like 
crazy clout chasing that it's easy to get lost in and Instagram and TikTok and stuff like that. Um, but it really helps for the whole artist team to be able to like stay focused and like, what's the actual goal here? Are you trying to make more records? Are you trying to play more shows? Is it just about money and maximizing every single opportunity you have to make it so you can pay your band so you can afford that, that next record, like stay focused on the goal and then build your strategies around that. So like, don't try and get Instagram famous just for the purpose of being Instagram famous, unless that's your goal. If you're trying to like market a record, then like use Instagram as a tool in that work. Cool. So now that we've sort of got an idea from about where you guys are coming from, Let's introduce Pandora because we have an international audience and customer base. So some of them might not be totally familiar uh, with Pandora as a platform. So I wanted to just start with the basics. What is Pandora and how is it different from, say, a Spotify or Apple Music? I think um, the basics of the question are simple. Uh, Pandora is a music streaming service based in the United States. Uh, it's online, over the web, or a mobile app. Um, and it features an on-demand style experience that uh, you'd be familiar with if you're familiar with, with services like Spotify or uh, Deezer or Apple Music. Um, but then where it's differentiated um, is uh, in its focus on radio and the lean back experience. So. Uh, we started as an online radio service before the concept of on-demand streaming even existed. Um, and Pandora's specialty was this algorithmic radio experience where you would pick an artist or a song um, that you liked, and then Pandora would build a radio experience around similar artists and songs. Um, and it would respond to your preferences based on whether you thumbed up or thumbed down a given song. Um, and so while we have, you know, the $10 a month premium on-demand experience that you're familiar with, uh, the core of the service is really still centered around that algorithmic radio experience that, um, you know, tens of millions of users uh, love. I think you nailed it. I mean, it's uh, what, what is, we can talk about kind of the future of Pandora, I think in, in a little bit, we'll talk a bit more about that, but um, yeah, I think that what is set it apart is just this, the amount of data that we've wound up trying to, to, to gather as well. I mean, what, what we initially seeded that, that, that genome, that this, this a, a, a algorithmic listening experience with was an uh, analysis of um, almost every single song we played. Um, and we've had to kind of dial that back and start to kind of, you know, it, um, a, a, analyze a few of every artist's songs now. But um, still, the, 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 the uh, analyses that power this are done by musicologists. They're done by pro players. They're um, uh, incredibly in-depth. Some of them have uh, as many as 400 di dimensions, depending on the genre. And it's everything from um, the tonality of the music to the presence of polyrhythms, to the instrumentation, to the lyrical content, to the vocal tone, to um, recording and mixing style. I mean, like it goes really, really wide. And that 
in combined with uh, the uh, user's thumbs and stuff has given us this really interesting engine to try and personalize a lean back listening radio experience that also is an interesting one and helps you find new music you'll love and all of that. And so, yeah, I think that's um, that was kind of the, the beginnings of Pandora and it's still, I think, one of our biggest strengths because it's a really hard problem to solve and thankfully we've been working on this since since 2005. Um, so yeah, we that that like, breadth of of data and 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 how how fine-grained our our data is to um really helps does your listener base differ uh substantially from other dsps um i think we've got you know kind of our own listener profile um there are a bunch of different like listener groups that we've got um one of them is because we have been been around for a long time there are a bunch of listeners who found pandora early on and have curated their stations with a lot of care and love and then listen to those stations even now and who's like you know we we've got a, a very active li- li- listener base with pe- 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 people listening for more than 19 hours every month um it's like I mean it's almost it's an hour a work day kind of um, deal for 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 a lot of folks um, but then we also especially as premium has grown and as podcasting has grown and now with uh, exploring some partnerships with with, with Sirius XM we're able to kind of offer experiences that are a little bit different and so with stuff like Pandora stories we can really dig in with with music heads who want to hear from their favorite band and hear somebody like in long form talk explain a record as you listen to that record um and uh you know obviously everyone does everything they can to to appeal to young folks because young folks drive the entire music industry as far as i can tell so yeah i think uh just add add more context every service has uh you know its own audience and that audience has its own personality um think genre is an interesting to point point out we know that we're particularly strong um in country in emerging hip-hop uh in christian um we're weirdly strong in new uh, new age um i think that's because it's you know typically a, a lean back type of thing um and then uh obviously our audience um in the united states is massive at like 60 million users, but one thing that I think is really interesting is we are by far the largest free service in the United States. So the majority of our audience is still in an ad-supported environment, Um, and that really differentiates us from services who um, are focused, like let's say Spotify or Apple Music, that are super focused on the premium subscription, and their ad-supported tier is more of just a, a funnel into that or non-existent completely. Um, so that separates us in another important way in terms of our audience. Another thing that sort of separates you, and this might only be particularly interesting for music data nerds like us, but in 2008, in 2008, Music Analytics OG Next Big Sound was founded. And then in seven years later, Pandora acquired the platform. Can you explain what exactly Next Big Sound is and how it relates to Pandora and maybe what makes Next Big Sound so special? Yeah, so Next Big Sound uh, was started in 2008 with a basic idea that like uh, the founders were um, playing around with some ideas with music and they were watching some MySpace play counts. And overnight they saw 
a few million streams appear on a MySpace page. Um, I'm forgetting what the song was, but um, when they woke up the next morning and they realized that a few million plays had gone by, um, the the conversation they had was like, I, I'm fairly certain nobody in the music industry knows about this and knows that this is happening and is tracking this in real time at scale. Like we can do that. Um, and so by the time I joined in the beginning of 2015, um, it, uh, it had kind of grown to work with, uh, every major label, uh, we were ingesting and kind of did, did displaying data from SoundCloud and Spotify and Apple music and Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and a, a range of other sources, Bandcamp, um, uh, a whole bunch. Uh, Wikipedia actually is a really interesting one because um, when folks look up a new artist online, that, that that's frequently one of the first hits. So it's almost like you're sampling Google searches for them, which is fascinating. Um, and so, yeah, we, we were basically selling this as a platform to the major labels so that they could... A analyze their catalogs and their marketing across all of these platforms for all of the artists on their roster. And um, Pandora saw that and, and wanted to kind of incorporate it in like joining forces. Pandora up until that point really hadn't done much in terms of sharing data. Um, and we'd seen a number of other music data companies kind of get snapped up by, by, by some of the other DSPs. And uh, it just seemed like an opportunity for us to be able to actually communicate the scale that Pandora had. Because uh, over the years, like the relationship Pandora has had with, with the artist community in the States has had its ups and downs. Um, it's been hard to kind of navigate the whole thing with like radio royalties, which are set by statute. Um, and But then our artists, of course, always want to seat at the table and we understand that and so i think it was part of an acknowledgement on pandora's part of like if we can build some tools for these artists and help them kind of get more out of this platform um we can be a better partner in in the industry and so we joined in the end of 20 or i guess in the middle of 2015 and uh the rest is history we've been like we maintained the multi-source reporting for a while um understandably some of the other dsps didn't want to keep sending us data um and so we kind of transitioned over to really focus on how can we get the most out of the pandora data that we have how can we help people understand this platform and really use it so they they they, they can grow their own careers and um of course um for chart metric users who hadn't heard of Next Big Sound or hadn't been around long enough to have used it in its um, heyday as an aggregator, the whole concept will be really familiar, right? I mean, um, we stopped being able to do it largely because, you know, we joined us or were acquired by a specific streaming service. And it's been awesome to see you guys step up and, um, you know, serve this obvious need, right? Which is just one place to see data across the platforms. Um, so we've had fun watching watching you guys grow. And in the meantime, it's been super exciting to like, we are now kind of fully integrated with the AMP team and the whole like Pandora for, for creators experience is has all of the old next big sounders within it. And so it's been really fun to, to try and lean into how can we build marketing tools? How can we like start to, 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 to tell folks about everything that's going on, on on Pandora and really try and like advocate for artists and their teams um, at, at, at the company. Recently I was on a, a podcast, the Nashville briefing 
podcast with uh, one of the Next Big Sound co-founders, Alex White. And, uh, I said that um, that Next Big Sound was our James Brown, and to, and we're the we're Bruno Mars. It's kind of a, the analogy I like to make because like y'all really came first, and we take a lot of influence from from what y'all have done. So it's cool. Well, that's great. Um, all I'll say is maybe that one day Bruno Mars sells more records than James Brown. If we look at his Pandora numbers, I got to say, I, I bet, I bet Bruno is, uh, is on top. <laughs> oh, Bruno's winning, I'm sure. And now you could do that in chart metric. Yeah, exactly. There it is. Um, so you, you, you mentioned AMP, which is um, your artist marketing platform. Can you explain the difference between Next Big Sound and AMP um, and how AMP relates to Pandora? Yeah, so um, over time, there's becoming less and less of a difference um, as, again, Next Big Sound has started to lose that multi-platform approach and be more focused just on Pandora. Um, but Pandora Amp uh, is the primary place where a creator, whether it be a manager, an artist, or a label, um, or a podcaster now, um, can interface with Pandora. So you can see data there like you can in Next Big Sound. Um, but most importantly, you can create campaigns, um, campaigns being sort of a blanket word um, that we use for systems that you can take advantage of to talk to your audience on Pandora. So you can record an audio message that'll play between tracks on your station. Your listeners can you know, hear you talking about whatever it is that uh, you wanna say to them. Um, you could feature a track which basically tells us um, what track you're working at the moment um, and then that influences our algorithm and we'll spin it more um, in the radio experience. Um, Jay was talking about stories before, which are a really exciting product where you can create playlists that have voice tracks of you discussing, you know, the previous song or the next song. Um, the list really goes on. So all these tools are offered completely for free. Um, and they're basically just ways for us to rich in the experience of Pandora for users by allowing sort of a direct link um, to the artists. Um, so we want to like switch to like from the artist perspective now, you know, how is Pandora really useful for creatives that are, you know, uploading their content to the platform. So uh, this was back in June of this year, we had a podcast episode with this rapper called me Ace um, and he hit the billboard charts just self-releasing super dope guy. And he was talking, uh, he told us like his anecdote of, He's like, how does one, you know, before it happened, of course, how does one get onto the billboard charts? And then he was like looking to the methodology and he, he learned about Next Big Sound and, you know, um, y'all's involvement with billboard. And he found that I was not a Pandora and I need to get a Pandora. Um, can you talk a little bit about kind of that onboarding process for artists who maybe have not yet put their uh, songs and tracks and their albums up on Pandora? And, um, you know, how, how can they think about Pandora as a service? I can jump in there. Um, one, what are the, th this is a question that has been evolving a lot. Um, and it was a very different answer five years ago than it is now. So I'll just say right now, if you're putting your, your music out with CD Baby or DistroKid or AWOL or TuneCore, any of the other DIYs, um, you, you, if you make sure that the, the kind of Pandora box is checked, um, but you should be good. Uh, we should be ingesting that data. If not, you can go to the, to the AMP, uh, the, the, the Indie submit page, which we can share a link with y'all, um, uh, after this, um, 
to actually go and, and make sure your, 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 your music gets ingested. But we've been working really hard to try and make sure that we can ingest and bring live all of that content. Um, the reason it's a longer question is before, if you think about Pandora as, as a radio service, especially in the early days when we had to analyze almost for, for at first every single song on, on the platform and then at least one song per artist that created a bottleneck and we had to like spend that time to understand the music so we knew where to play it. Um, and so that meant that we just didn't um, kind of ingest everything we got. We, we got uh, um, DDEX feeds, which is the, the kind of file format transfer with each of the major labels starting in 2016. But it was still a lot of work for us to be able to scale up to where we could actually ingest all of the indie content that's out there, um, just because the, the volume and the breadth of that, that content is so broad. But um, going forward, y'all should be good if you've got past records and stuff that aren't on Pandora, the indie submit page is your friend. And if um, for some reason you're not finding stuff there or something's wrong, please shoot us an email, amp-support at pandora.com. Um, there's not like, yeah, you, you, you don't need to worry about jumping through hoops or something like that. We, we want your music, we want it live. Um, and yeah, we want that active. Um, but yeah, that, that was a, that was a big challenge, especially even just up until a couple of years ago is folks would be like, wait, Pandora, I don't know, even know if I'm on Pandora and, uh, we, we, we have just been acknowledging that as well. Um, but yeah, so hit us up and, and we'll get your, your music live and spinning. Awesome. So, so I'm an artist, I've got my, my stuff up on Pandora. I'm, I'm, I'm good to go. And I'm looking at AMP. I'm looking at the dashboard. What, what am I thinking? What are, what are some good first steps or actionable kind of strategies, would you think? And, and feel free to like get into detail, maybe if you want to take a rock artist or rap artist or country artist, whatever. Totally. I'll, uh, so I, I run marketing for my own bands. Uh, I do marketing for a couple of friends' bands here in New York as well. And I think Pandora is a really interesting um, case because I actually don't market Pandora in the same way that I market some of the other DSPs and some of our socials. Um, Pandora is a, a platform with a ton of momentum. Um, if you get a, a fan base on Pandora because of the listening behavior, because of this kind of lean back radio experience that a ton of our folks to like, your, once your music gets into rotation with them, it, it usually has a really long life. And that also means that because of that, of that kind of long life and there's a lot of discovery on Pandora, but I think it's a little bit slower. There's like fewer of the behaviors where somebody's going to like, I'm going to go listen to a playlist of all songs I've never heard before, like, and just save off the three or four that, that, that I like. The Pandora radio algorithm normally like gives you new stuff in sips. And so that means I, I give my Pandora stuff a little bit more time. Um, anytime I'm, I'm going to put out a record, um, I'll line up a couple featured tracks. I'll, I'll usually do that all in one go. Each featured track runs for eight weeks. So if I set up six of them, I'm good for the next year. <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll, I'll normally only do like three or four at a time. So I can kind of check back in and take stock. Um, do some of the artist audio messages and I, everything I'm doing is trying to focus on slow, steady growth. And, um, I've done that for example, with uh, a friend, uh, who, who, who is a new age, uh, PMP Yanis on, on, on Pandora, which is an especially difficult genre to break into because not a lot of folks thumb up, you know, you're not like right there on your phone waiting to thumb up the 
next track if you're listening to like a chill and study playlist. Um, but still with persistence and it's been like a, a year and a half, we've gotten him over 500,000 streams. He's got a bunch of stations now. He's got a really steady li- 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 listening base as well. Um, just from like routinely trying to use these featured tracks, trying to, 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 to speak with his fans and then coordinating that with some pushes to his U S fans on Instagram. So he'd done some, some targeted work to his U S fans on Instagram to try and drive them to his Pandora station to kind of keep, keep that building. Um, for the more like rock pop band that I'm in, um, it's a lot more of a focus on like, okay, well let's like target whatever singles we want to roll over. Um, we've been putting out a series of EPs and so I'll usually do a couple songs actually from each EP, which means the promo horizon stretches out a lot longer than it might on Instagram where we can, you know, cycle out a new song every two weeks. Um, on Pandora, we'll do that about every two months. Um, but that just means that we can, again, like focus on building an organic audience. And it's also an audience that we're not reaching necessarily on socials until we tap into things like the artist audio messages to say like, hey, go check our stuff out on Instagram too. Go check out this live set that we're going to do on Instagram live and try and like begin to blend those uh, fan bases there. Uh, you definitely covered everything, but I think I can say a few things in, in different ways. Um, if you try to approach Pandora like you might approach Spotify um, or YouTube or for that matter or Apple Music and you release a record and you do everything you possibly can to get all your fans to listen to that record on demand in the first week that it's out, that's not going to work well on Pandora. You'll have a few people come and listen to it and then potentially they won't hear it again. What you need on Pandora is an audience that's listening to your station and that's thumbing up songs on your station that then starts to hear your music on other Pandora stations of artists similar to you. And this is how you sort of get this, you know, Jay's talking about this like slow burn, slow growth success. You'll start to become a track that listeners hear on a similar artist station often because they like you and they're listening to a similar artist. So Pandora will play one of your tracks. Um, and then when we talk about something like a featured track, that's just going to give this whole um, snowball a boost for a particular track um, that you're working at the moment. And so you're kind of going to grow this audience that hears you on your station and hears you in other places. And our algorithm is going to learn who likes your music and what things are similar. And it's going to play that for new listeners um, that you never even brought in. But it's not going to do that um, if you don't have that sort of small seed of people who are really, really listening to you the way Pandora listening works. Um, So, you know, just racking up a thousand plays on demand and release week and then having your audience die off isn't going to do anything for you. But a tenth of that many plays from a steady audience listening to Pandora radio and thumbing is going to be the beginning of of long-term success on Pandora. Makes a lot of sense. Uh, Rucker wrote a a blog article on our blog uh, that really kind of went with that same kind of idea that viral is great, but like to see, you know, on platforms like this slow, steady growth that's consistent over time really seems to be the best play for artists. Um, If they're looking for a long-term career, I mean, if they just wanted to have a one done, that's, that's something else, I guess, but. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it, it's a question about asking, like, what kind of connection am I trying to establish with my listener and with my 
fan. Um, and if you've made a cool thing, like good for you, capitalize on it all you can. If you make something that goes viral, like absolutely like chase that as long as you can. I love how like Lil Nas X is, is the best example of this. Just beat the horse until it's dead. But, but then like what, where, where does that leave you? Like, are, are you trying to foster a connection with, with these fans? Are you trying to develop that? Like, cause we all have this like intensely emotional relationship with the music that we love and by extension, then the people who, who make it. Um, and that can be problematic and that can be great and that can mean all sorts of things, but like that slow and steady growth and kind of like becoming part of the fabric of somebody's life really when when your music is in their ears like that is a big part of i think what the power of the pandora platform it's not that like they're going to hear your stuff on the cool hit playlist that you worked really hard to 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 get on which everyone should still doing i still do but like as soon as you fall off that do you lose that cachet or not like on pandora it's this like the fact that the music keeps coming back and starts to follow them around and then also instructs the other listeners like that listener like oh hey you might actually like this track um and kind of just helps things organically grow yeah i mean i don't know it reminds me of um like the, a tiktok algorithm almost like the for you page for some reason like it it the way you talk about i think jay you mentioned um like it gives you like pendra will give you like new sips or sips of new material every now and then um, to expose you to it. I feel like that's like the for you feed almost like I have my steady, steady stream of cute dog videos and then I'll slip in like, I don't know, like a, how to make a cupcake video in there. I'm like, what? Yeah, exactly. And, and a lot of that comes from the fact that like most listeners, most of the time, even like diehard music fans like us, like half the time I, I sit down, like, I want to hear something like, I don't really want to listen to something. I don't want to take a gamble on something totally new. Like I'm going for a feeling like I'm going to pull out a record that maybe I haven't listened to in a long time, but it's still a record on my shelf, you know? And so that's, that's part of the dynamic of how can we like introduce everyone to new music on a consistent basis. For a lot of artists that uh, have used Expo Sound have, are using Trapmetric. So like the analyst mindset is a very foreign thing. So as kind of musicians yourselves and artists yourselves and at the same time being able to be in such like a data-rich environment, can you kind of bridge that gap a little bit? I mean, what are some just, I, I guess, more of like a mindset kind of philosophy kind of tips you could give to an artist who's like, whoa, what's a spreadsheet? Or whoa, what's a pivot table? Or, you know, that kind of thing. This is kind of where I go back to, to the politics stuff I was saying, like stay focused on your goal, write it down on a sticky note, put it up on a wall or something like, so really stay focused on your goal. And because the rest of this stuff are just like, I try and abstract as much of this. It's really easy to get into jargon about all this stuff and like data and likes and, and trends and growth and all of the other stuff we talk about. Like every time I'm trying to think about a problem and I'm, I'm have a question I'm trying to answer, I try and like boil it down into as simple terms as possible. Like I'm not looking for YouTube views. I'm looking for humans to see my video on YouTube. I'm not looking for like Instagram likes. I'm hoping that a post resonates with the people on the other side of the screen. Um, or maybe I'm looking for exposure, in which case that it's not like a number so much as it's like, it, it, you know, uh, think of exposure in terms of I'm showing my content to new humans and it helps you frame it. Like, do you just want as many humans as possible to see like 
a little photo of you as they scroll by as fast as they can? Or do you want to see like, oh, instead of a million people, just show my thing to like 500 people, but people who are more likely to, to want to know more and dig deeper. Um, so that's, that's an important part of all of this is like, first of all, think about the abstract ideas of what you're going for. And then like, remember that all of this stuff is just us measuring in whatever ways we can um, some of the indicators of what that fan interaction looks like. Um, and then a thing that I try and push people to, but I agree it is really foreign and all this stuff, run experiments. It's like you can go on YouTube and you can find hours and hours and hours of music marketers swearing that they have the secret and the way to unlock, you know, a million plays a month on Spotify. And I've watched a bunch of them and they all have great ideas and they all have different sets of ideas. There's not just one way to do this. Um, as everyone can see, experiment, figure out what works for, for, for you. I know so few artists and artist teams who actually AB test, but like you can do it and it'll help you save money. Like work does Instagram marketing or Twitter marketing work better for you and your brand. Um, I know a bunch of rappers who are doing great on Twitter because they're just so good in that format and a bunch of like pop stars that do much better on Instagram because they're better in that format. But like the marketing and the fan base you can tap into is different on every platform. And so like, you know, if you've got a hundred bucks to spend marketing your music, um, split it up into four groups and and try and test it and see like if you run one week of advertising on Twitter with 25 bucks, how did that affect your streams? And then do it again with Instagram and do it again with Facebook and do it again with YouTube. Um, and uh, of course, you know, maximize all the free tools <laughs> like Pandora Amp. Um, but then, you know, when you're doing all of that, um, see what works. Also see what feels good. I know a bunch of artists that like, I hate this, but I have to post on Instagram four times a week because my manager told me to. <laughs> and it's like, if you hate it, <laughs> it's going to come through and you can keep it up for a while, but if you hate it, it's going to show. So like find a way to make it fun, find a way to make it feel like you, because if you can't do that, it's going to be really hard for the fans to like fall into it on the other end. That's great. By the way, I, I love the idea of AB testing. I think that's something that is very much from like a data analyst like point of view, but it's totally understandable. I think if, as long as artists have that idea in their head. Or, or like, just think back to science class, right? Because it is, it is very much in the analyst world, but it's, it's another one of these, like, th these are actually tools that a lot of people have and a way of thinking that a lot of people have um, access to. And you don't need to, like, have a fancy data education to figure out how you can separate these experiments. So I think what Next Big Sound has done and continues to do to help a lot of people in this place is striking this really great balance between the depth of analysis available and at the same time, like user experience. So I guess, Dan, this is more of a question for you being, being in the product manager role. How, how has that, how has those, how have those conversations evolved over the years in terms of, you know, here we have like a very like data rich and a lot for some people very heavy and, and laborious kind of set of, numbers to run through and understand that have you know time associated with it and different types of categories on each platform how do you strike that balance between you know that and then giving people a website that they can look at and be like oh this is pretty this is cool and this is something i can understand and i majored in liberal arts you know when i was in college you know that kind of thing um 
Could you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. Um, I think one of the first things that we try to do from um, a design perspective when we're looking at any new feature um, is to do our best not to think of it in terms of, well, what do the power users want and what is the most simple um, sort of quick glance, non-data person want. I think that's always a natural tendency when you're building an analytics product or a BI tool to just instantly, you know, create this dichotomy in your mind where you say, well, there's the nerds and there's the people who hate numbers and there's no in between. Um, that is sort of true because the, the extremes are easier to understand, but you know, you also have huge data nerds who have five minutes right now and want to take a screenshot. Um, and you have data neophytes who, if they really need to answer a question or if they're going to take Jay's advice and run an AB test, um, they're going to sit down in Excel and really go deep and, and figure it out. Um, and you know, I, the only thing I'll add to what Jay says is if you can play the guitar, you can figure out how to use Excel. Um, these things are not as hard as they seem, I think. Um, but anyway, so, uh, I think at first we try to get rid of all those distinctions and just think about, okay, what's the story that this data typically tells? and how do we present it? Um, so there's a great section in Next Big Sound, the playlist and discovery section, which breaks down where your streams are coming from on Pandora as an artist. Um, and we actually think about like, what are the typical conclusions from this data? And, um, you know, for every artist that might be slightly different, um, but the, com the combining theme is to figure out, well, okay, um, where are my plays coming from on Pandora and what do I need to do to get plays to come from the places where they're currently not? Um, and then we think about if we were going to present that data on a slide in a PowerPoint deck after having done the analysis in Excel, uh, what would it look like? Um, so we kind of just jump straight to like, what are the conclusions that are supposed to be drawn and then work back, um, from the data. And I think what that does is it prevents you from just throwing numbers at the screen. You know, it's kind of tempting to just throw all the numbers at the screen um, and give people as many choices as possible or whatever, but you're actually just creating work for them to find the conclusions. Um, now, uh, all that being said, at the end of the day, somebody's always gonna wanna go a little bit deeper or dig into a little bit different question than what we expect. And so, you always include a download CSV button. <laughs> um, that's probably <laughs> just the ridiculously prescriptive answer. But, you know, despite all of the framing that we think we can do and all the ways that we can help, um, you've got to be able to let people, you know, see their own data and run their own analysis. So we just make sure that that's possible. Um, I feel like I rambled a little, but does that make that make sense? It's great. I mean, I think design needs to be talked about um, in this kind of environment. It's something that I don't know. I still feel like the industry at the industry level, the 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 
the tone about data is like this, like, whoa, what's data? I went into music to avoid this kind of stuff. Design is an important thing. And I think that's where I think tech and music have such a great relationship is, you know, tech really has like a user experience focus. And I think that's something that is really useful, I think. Yeah, I think I've, I've loved working at the company. I mean, from the early days of Next Big Sound, we've been laser focused on um, like, how can, let's stay focused on the question. Stay focused on like what what is, and and also how is somebody going to frame a question, like not like if you take the data off the table, how are they going to ask it, and how can we present the answer or at least the ways that they can get to that answer in terms that that person would like come to on their own. Um, for data viz nerds, like obviously we've had folks uh, spending a lot of time with with uh, with Tufty and with you know a lot of the 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 um, theoretical work in terms of what what makes a good day. Dane, Dane, Deviz over the years. Um, but we're just trying to stay really focused on like not showing a, um, a difference without a distinction, um, not creating just kind of needless options. Like how can we keep this simple and smart? I remember actually a full quarter goal uh, of ours at Next Big Sound was everything we we're going to work on for the whole quarter, let's make it simpler and smarter. Um, because yeah, it's hard and, and our users aren't usually experts. <laughs> Jay mentioned, uh, Tufty, uh, and I just have to add to that. So this is for the real sort of product design, um, people who, who might be listening, but, uh, Edward Tufty is this sort of academic who's put together a lot of theory around data viz and what, what works and what doesn't. Um, and we're in the design phase right now for some, uh, new data viz features we're going to be adding to AMP. Um, and, uh, to boil it down quickly, it's a scenario, um, this feature where Tufty would tell us to use a pie chart and we tested like three or four things, one of them being a pie chart. And, uh, after like probably 12 hours of user interviews and AB testing, it became quite obvious that the pie chart was the only option to go with. So understanding the theory can save you lots of time. So, so it's good to see. So some of these design kind of ways of working are, are transitioning over to AMP too. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I wouldn't have it anywhere. It's the same team. So uh, I, I didn't want to miss out on the branding perspective as well. So for, you know, we have some people involved in the branding space working for brands themselves or working for brands, you know, from an agency perspective. There's a Pandora for Brands.com website for advertisers looking to connect with potential customers and one thing that really kind of caught my eye, which I thought was super cool, was this idea of Pandora splitting out into over 2,300 segments of users. At least that's what um, it says on the website. Maybe it's more now. Um, based off of, and this is according to the last quarterly earnings report, um, 3.1 billion ad support listener hours, which is crazy. Uh, monthly active users, 58.6 million in third quarter. That's awesome. Um, but these... Segments of users, like a few examples are holiday jet setter I saw on the website, fast food connoisseur, LGBTQ listener, comic book enthusiast, cord cutter, which is like this really neat psychological approach to, um, you know, how, how brands can connect with potential fans um, of their own brand. Could you talk a little bit about how that, how, what's going on in the kitchen there a little bit and, and how brands can think of that? Yeah, so this used to be my wheelhouse as a, an ad tech product manager for three years. Um, and 
Uh, I think a lot of it will matter to the music industry and some of it won't because uh, a lot of those more sophisticated segments are specifically for like enterprise level um, advertisers. Um, but the fact of the matter is Pandora, at least the last time I checked, was the biggest audio ad publisher in the world, uh, even just being a United States service because of how much ad supported listening occurs on our platform. Um, so with that massive set of user data, um, advertisers can onboard segments from what's called a DMP or data management platform, which essentially allows them to take their own first party data and match it to ours. Um, and after enough of them do that, we're able to use all of the matching to build these segments of, well, Pandora listeners who are interested in, for example, I think cord cutting was one that you used. Um, so it's based on a lot of complex user matching, obviously always anonymous. Um, we would have it no other way. Um, but then advertisers can come on board, um, and target those specific segments when they run an ad campaign on Pandora. Um, so for people who are listening, um, definitely encourage advertising on Pandora. It's, uh, fairly simple and straightforward. It's becoming more and more so as our ad tech team builds out, uh, self-service tools for it. Um, and I think a lot of advertisers miss audio because, um, you know, it's a new creative format that they're potentially not developing. Um, but on a service like Pandora, all of the high tech digital targeting, um, opportunities are there. You just need an audio creative and we even help small advertisers um, build out audio creative as well. Um, and just to tie it back to the music industry, while of course, you know, a major label could go ahead and, and um, target using our uh, enterprise um, ad targeting products, but don't forget, we let you make an artist audio message and quote it down to the zip code level. So if you're promoting a show in Philadelphia next weekend, oh, I'm, I miss shows. Let's say you were promoting a show in Philadelphia next weekend. You can record an artist audio message that your Philadelphia-based fans will hear, um, and it can include a swipe up link to tickets. So a lot of this stuff, not quite the super fancy segments, but a lot of it is offered to artists in the music industry for free. Uh, it's a good deal, and I, I wish more people were aware of it. The ones who are, are getting a lot out of it. Yeah. I just, I just add like, we, we also had, you know, Pandora um, before COVID was running like 80 events a year. Um, and so that's live music experiences for brands. That's concerts. That's that we ran a house at South by Southwest for a number of years. Like in a, uh, with all of those, we were looking internally at our data as well to see like, what is the artist that's going to fit best with the, the audience that the band, the brand that's behind the whole experience, um, is trying to, 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 to reach. And those events were great. They're, um, almost always free for, for, for our listeners. And we just target super fans of various artists, wherever we're going to actually put the show up. Um, and so it's cool to be able to like, have this like very complex fine-grained um tar targeting for our advertising but also look at the affinities with 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 artists and fans and stuff like that um it's a really powerful engine and it's been awesome for us to be able to also get brands a little bit more comfortable working with some of the up-and-coming talent that's out there that a lot of folks in the advertising space sometimes have a hard time reaching i mean i've definitely 
had enough, um, like plenty of meetings um, with uh, ad teams that are like, so we want somebody who's like really hot, up and coming, about to be Justin Timberlake. And then had to like explain to them that, well, like Justin Timberlake was about to be Justin Timberlake in about 1993. And so like, we're, we're a long way from there. <laughs> and like Justin Timberlake about to be Justin Timberlake now is actually like, touring with Jay-Z. So like, that's actually probably bigger than, than you, than you really want. And so it's fun to kind of have all of this under the same, um, house. And, and what Dan was saying, the power of those audio ads then, especially in, in conjunction with these live experiences that we've been able to do that really bring the artists into the story. Um, if we were to reference like ads that have stuck with us on this call, like, I'm not going to Photoshop something and show it to you. I'm not going to pull up a video on my phone. If we are going to, like, as we're talking here, if we're going to reference an ad, it's going to be a jingle. It's going to be a catchphrase. It's audio, right? The power of audio is that it really sticks with us and it imprints like with us, but also in a way that we can perpetuate. And so like, this is why the, 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 the famous jingles that get referenced by like Colbert who makes like jokes about like one, like one, eight, seven, seven cars for kids or whatever it is, <laughs> not trying to plug them, just trying to show like the power of some of that advertising. And, and like Dan was saying, I think it's something that a lot of companies have left off the table for a while because the online advertising stuff is so easy and so cheap and like, it's easy to get there at scale. But if you really want to connect with listeners, um, these audio ads are just incredibly powerful. And then one more data point that I thought was interesting was, uh, so nine out of 10 uh, of Pandora users are over 18 and registered to vote. So this is in light, of course, of upcoming uh, US national presidential election and uh, are planning to vote um, real soon in November. So uh, has Pandora been active at all in this, in, in this kind of getting the power to vote out that message out there and any kind of interesting stories to tell? Yeah, we've partnered with artists to try and spread those messages a number of times in the past. Um, we try and, you know, we, we try and acknowledge the fact that we are a platform that has a very broad listener base. We have more than 300 million re re registrations. So almost every American at some point has tried out Pandora. Um, certainly if you had an email and wanted to, to listen to music, um, you know, at any point in the last 10 years. Um, and so there's a, a really wide listenership there. We've done a lot of pump, 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 political advertising on, on, on Pandora. We try and make sure that we are, um, portraying both sides. We also like have pump policies against, um, hate speech and any kind of inciting violence and things like that. Um, and then, you know, beyond that, we try and just really dedicate ourselves. I mean, we, we've got, we've had a float in, in pride here in New, 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 New York for a number of years, um, or not, maybe not a float, but we've had like a, a big group group from the, the company to take, take part in that walk. Um, we've have kind of active employee groups to try and spread these messages and create content for folks. Um, we celebrate, um, you know, a lot of the kind of monthly calendar stuff like Black History Month and all this stuff by trying to, to um, elevate those voices. Um, this is a part of that, but, you know, it's also, it's something that we try and make sure that it's a, it's a home for everybody who wants to, to, 
to come and listen here. And uh, yeah, I just add, please, everybody listening to this before November 3rd or afterwards, vote. Next time you get the chance to vote. If it has to wait in line for two hours or four hours or six, vote. Um, it's we're so lucky to be able to get to vote. Um, Pandora, uh, Pandora, and SiriusXM are giving all our employees um, a couple of hours on e e e election day to make sure we can get to the polls. And we've been assured by all of our bosses um, if it takes longer than that, take longer than that, um, which I think is really great. Yeah, vote with a mask. Vote with a mask, mask. Or, or vote by mail. Or vote however you can. We've been running free and fair elections in this country longer, con 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 consistently, longer than any other group of people on earth. We can do this. The USPS are absolutely dope. Uh, if you haven't actually read up more on the US Postal Service, I'm a total postal service nerd. I'm sorry to bring this out on the podcast. There's a great postal service museum in DC if you don't get to go, but they visit something like, I think it's over a hundred million locations every day with mail. Postal service is amazing. So um, they, they, they've got your vote. Make sure you, you email it in time, but, but they've got you. Honestly, it's one of the most underrated museums in DC. So go check out the Postal Service Museum. You can learn about like the Postal Aviators, which is like, they call themselves the Suicide Squad because they were dying so fast because they, nobody knew how to fly. They're landing in fields. Like one, there's this awesome story about one like trying, he had to put his plane down because it was too foggy, he couldn't see. And he like hit a cow and had a whole fist fight with the farmer because he like accidentally hit this dude's cow. Uh, Jay, we're, we're waiting for your secret podcast about mailing services. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about um, the future of Pandora. What can we expect Pandora to let out of the box, so to speak, um, either feature-wise or in terms of like global expansion? Like, Are you guys planning on expanding outside of the U.S. anytime soon? Well, there's only so much we can say on this topic, um, but I will say one thing we haven't talked a lot about yet, and that it's probably worth reiterating, is that we did merge with SiriusXM last year. Um, SiriusXM being a really, really exciting company that has a lot of unique content, um, which is becoming more and more of a prized asset as I see a lot of the music streaming services really starting to uh, become commoditized, uh, you know, with the same catalog. Um, so uh, Jay, check me here, but I think what I can hint is that there's going to be deeper integrations with Sirius XM to come. Um, and I think it's going to create a really, really interesting content environment for us. Yeah, just, um, we were uh, speaking on this on a conference a few weeks ago, so I can kind of rehash some of what I uh, told them. But like, we've been heads down really for the last year. You know, this is, um, it is a very different thing to make an app on a phone than it is to, to broadcast me, me, music via satellite. Um, and having both in our pocket is a really powerful combination. And so you've probably seen some of the, if you've been paying attention on Pandora, we've been seeing some of the, the experiments we've been running. So we have um, the B beginnings of a number of serious shows now on Pandora as podcasts. Um, expect us to kind of explore more there. Um, we've launched modes, which is super cool. It's a listening experience for listeners where if you, you know, if you're listening to our top hit station or you're listening to your favorite artist radio, um, you might want a different listening experience at different times. Sometimes you might want to just like, just play the, 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 the hits 
you're listening to, to, to LCD sound system radio, or if you're going to go um, in something else, you might be like, no, 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 I want deep cuts or I want um, only the, this artist or something like that. And we're starting to experiment with curated modes. So an artist can like come on board with us for a couple of weeks. We'll work on, on building a playlist of like, Hey, like take our, um, for example, Latin genre station or uh, up and coming hip hop station or something like that, or um, our, our, our top shelf hip hop and R&B and like curate a mode that's all you, that's stuff that you're listening to that you love and some of your music. And then we'll host like modes like that for, for, for a while. Um, so it's just a really cool listening experience for fans to be able to hear a little bit how some of their favorite ar- ar- artists can, can curate a cool experience for them. Um, almost like a radio show, but a little bit more flexible and it's kind of always there when you want it. So we're doing stuff like that. We've also debuted uh, a new kind of um, live experience, trying to, you know, give fans the opportunity to still see some of their favorite R- R- artists doing virtual meet and greets, doing virtual concerts, virtual shows. And we're doing that, of course, with the combined power of the great SiriusXM studios, which give us a safe place to actually film and record those things. And then, of course, the reach of the Pandora fan base. Um, and again, some of our ad tar- targeting and things like that to find like just the, the, if we can only have um, a couple people tune into the live stream or a couple people in, in, in the room safely, let's make sure that they're super fans, um, stuff like that. So yeah, uh, we'll have more soon. I mean, I think this is just kind of each exploring with different areas that we can help make both platforms better. Um, and we're hard at work, so expect more from us soon. And in the meantime, AMP. Dan, I think we've got, uh, is there anything we can talk about kind of uh, on the upcoming the world of what we're trying to build and how we're trying to make, make the AMP tools better? Uh, yeah, more and more data coming to AMP. Um, so recently we launched a bunch of Next Big Sound-like reporting and analytics features that are right there in AMP. It's a huge, huge convenience for folks um, who, you know, in the past have had to have sort of feet in both tools all day. Um, and also a huge one for us this year is what we call programming placements data. So we now tell you all of the uh, editorial stations and playlists that you've been curated on, um, which is huge. You know, for so long, what we've tried to do is explain what types of stations the algorithm is playing you on, but we haven't been as good about showing people, um, you know, what our curation team can do for them as well. So that's there. Um, And more of it to come. Uh, What's currently in development is a whole super detailed level of um, track analytics that will be available on AMP. Um, and of course, we're mega stoked on the partnership with Chartmetric that just launched. There's actually one more thing I, I forgot I should mention, especially for folks listening here. Another cool thing we're experimenting with and have launched this year is kind of another one of these crossover programs, but it's our chart, the Top Thumb 100. Um, we're running that chart weekly and it's the top thumbed up new music on Pandora. And so it's, we're, it's a, we're trying to be super fast. We're looking at release day and release weekend and what got thumbed up there. Um, this is, it's a super reactive chart. It's a chart that features new music. Um, and it's a chart that like 
especially towards the bottom of that 100, um, features a lot of really interesting um, kind of oftentimes indie content. We've had every single genre on this chart, which is kind of amazing. We've had number ones from country and from and from Christian music and from hip hop and from pop um, and from rap. Uh, it's uh, from Latin. We've had in the top 10, top five. Um, and there is there's indie content in the top 20 on a consistent basis. So, um, folks, if you're promoing your music on Pandora, ask for those thumbs up. Drive your fans to it. Make sure it's part of your link fire. You know, work hard, especially, you know, we've been talking about the weakness in that first week sort of stuff. This is one of the things that we're trying to use to, to fix that um, and help you help try and surface some of the stuff who are doing well in that first week, whose music is being thumbed up right away and make sure that our other um, uh, lit, 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 lit listeners get a chance to hear all that. But the really exciting piece is that that chart, which lives on Pandora, is now being turned into a Sirius XM radio show. And so that Sirius XM radio show does a countdown of the top 20 each week and um, is a way then like now, finally, really for if you can get into the top 20 on that chart, you can get onto Sirius XM uh, just on the strength of your Pandora data on its own. And so uh, it's been really fun to kind of experiment with how that works, with what that crossover looks like. Um, and it's been a chart that surprised us all the time. So uh, go ahead and throw it a follow. Uh, if you're listening on Pandora, check it out on SiriusXM on the Pandora Now channel uh, if you want to do that. But more than anything, if you're looking at Chartmetric and you're promoing your music on Pandora and on other services, make sure you're trying to get those thumbs. Make sure you're driving your, your, your listeners to like thumb up your new record. Um, and because it can help. It can really help kind of get that exposure. It's a great way to end that section. So now we're going to go to the speed round where we'll basically um, bring up some recent music industry headlines and just have you guys react to them. So less questions, more just like gut reactions to these headlines. <laughs> First one is from Music Business Worldwide, and the headline is Penske Media and MRC form data joint venture. So basically, this is the gist is you know analytics and publishing worlds um, between like Nielsen and Buzz Angle and Billboard and Rolling Stone are sort of joining forces. Just your immediate reaction to this? Uh, it's always been the same fundamental data. So now it's the same company. I think it makes sense. I'm super excited to see Rolling Stone and Billboard kind of build out complementary chart options and stuff. So, you know, we've had the Billboard charts around for a long time and the Rolling Stone has been trying to make kind of a new, um, fresher take on charts. Um, so I think they'll probably be able to do that in a more coordinated fashion now, which I think is really cool. And, um, it's always great to, you know, have making sure that these companies survive so that we really have a good, um, view on the whole music industry from an editorial perspective as well. So this next one is from music ally and it's iHeartMedia is buying podcasting tech firm Vox nest. And I think, uh, this headline is pretty self-explanatory. Everybody's getting into podcasts. <laughs> uh, yeah, all the cool kids are doing it. If you're an audio company, you need a podcast company. 
that's cynical, but um, obvi- obviously, um, podcasting and talk audio is finally something that the music services, I, I just use air quotes uh, for those of you who can't see me, the music services are starting to notice is something that they should have uh, as part of their product. And in a way, it's funny. They're just waking up to something that was always there on terrestrial radio, right? Talk was always intermingled with music. Um, and so we're all going to see more and more of that. Um, and it seems like the de facto play for almost every company is to buy someone, um, which isn't necessarily bad, but I do think it's um, an indication of these companies kind of realizing they don't know anything about talk and trying to compensate somehow. That's not, uh, and no disrespect to iHeart, they probably know more about talk than uh, most of us music streaming services ever did. Totally. No, I mean, they've got such a fascinating business and so so many really interesting challenges of like balancing kind of IRL radio stations and everything that they do there with, with the new streaming world. And so I think it totally makes sense that they'd want to bring on some folks who are kind of big into the podcasting thing and not doing it in on classic radio and wishing the best. I mean, it's like podcasting for as, as many breakout hits as have been in podcasting, it still doesn't quite feel like genuinely mainstream. Um, and I think everyone's going to keep making them and pushing until it is. So. I think that's exciting. See, I knew we'd be bad at the speed round. <laughs> <laughs> me especially. I feel like this is me. No, 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 both of us. All right, this next one is uh, is fashion and brand related. So this is Beyonce's Ivy Park and Adidas drop. So the drop is happening uh, this Friday, so in a couple of days from our recording at least. It's called Drip 2. Campaign's called This Is My Park. So for those who don't know, uh, Queen Bee and Adidas are going to drop the much-anticipated second collection from Ivy Park. This is uh, via the Trapital uh, newsletter, by the way. Uh, first one came uh, earlier this year in January and uh, was really well-known, apparently, for putting into play really good influencer strategies. I saw one that she did with Reese Witherspoon where, like, on her Instagram, like, she got this huge, like, delivery of her first kind of Ivy Park uh, collection when that came out uh, earlier this year. So any thoughts on that? I think it's dope. I mean, it, 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 the Ivy Park stuff and so much of what Beyonce does is just a reminder that like, if, if you make a killer product and you have fun doing it and you like work hard to market it the right way with the right people, like it things, it's just great to see that kind of quality coming into the world. And like, it's great to see her vision coming to life with the whole Ivy Park thing. I think the crossover with music and fashion is just so exciting. Um, folks like Kid Super, I mean, Kanye, of course, is, is somebody we have to, to mention there. And now Ivy Park, it's, yeah, it's a really exciting space. Uh, I could be sure it's sweet in this one. I've been wearing the same thing for 10 years. Uh, <laughs> no, you don't care what I think about fashion. Beyonce is cool. <laughs> cool. Well, that's what we got here. So this is uh, about Nevis, is the National Independent Venue Association. Uh, the hashtag SOS Fest, which stands for Save Our Stages, uh, raises over $1.8 million. So the Save Our Stage Act is uh, apparently stalling in the Senate after passing with bipartisan support in the House of Representatives. Um, unclear when a relief package will be passed, if at all. This is via uh, Nashville Briefing Newsletter, um, but on Polestar. Uh, but uh, the three-day hashtag Save Our Stages Fest had over 35 major artists playing in 25 different venues across the country, such as The Roots, the New York Apollo Theater, Foo Fighters, and the Troubadour in L.A., Miley Cyrus at the Whiskey A Go-Go, and so on and so on. Um, thoughts? 
Dan, it seems like you're a big uh, live music fan. Yeah, I mean, uh, Jay and I are both musicians. We have a lot of friends in the live music business. Uh, here in New York, we have a lot of musician friends. It's horrible what has happened to this industry for obvious um, reasons. And sadly, I think that venues and nightlife are not the first things that a lot of politicians want to jump out and support. Uh, I think especially, you know, nightlife and electronic music has a stigma around it. Um, and it's a shame because especially, you know, Jay and I both live in New York and, um, you know, these places where people hear music are critical cultural fabric, just like museums. Um, and at least in, in my view, and um, I can't imagine why we wouldn't be able to muster bipartisan support for something like this. Um, so, <laughs> I don't know, call to action, donate yourselves. That seems to be working. It's great to see artists raising money. Uh, I've been doing a thing all through quarantine uh, where I just am setting aside some money every couple of weeks to buy either band merch or venue merch. I'm wearing venue merch right now, actually. This is a shirt from, from Public Records, which is just a few blocks away from my apartment here in New York City. The Senate, and this is, I'll get into the other side. I'm with Dan. I'm crushed that we can't go to shows. We can't play shows anymore. I miss it so, so much. Um, the Senate moves very quickly when they want to. Um, they, uh, They've moved very fast in the last few weeks. We don't need to get into the actual details. Um, but they, they represent you. They represent us. They are beholden to us. Vote. Um, just again, vote. And vote for folks in the House and vote for folks in the Senate and votes for folks in the State House and State Senate, wherever you live. Make sure that this stuff, and like, just call them or write a letter or tweet at them or send them an email. Um, voice your support for stuff like this. Um, like Dan said, unfortunately, it's not obviously top of mind for Mitch McConnell to make sure that this stuff gets through. Um, I know there's been a lot of political football with the bailouts and stuff with COVID that the music industry is really hurting. Um, we could really use some support. And I just hope that like these stages, everyone talks about like their bucket list stages, right? Like the places you've always wanted to play or even just always wanted to see a show. And I just hope that most of those like stick around. I, I think about 930 Club in Washington, D.C. and Bowery Ballroom here in New York City and like uh, Red Rocks and like all, you know, there's so many iconic rooms from that fit like 30 people to fit thousands of people. And like, and that's part of our whole artistic ecosystem in this country. It's like part of the whole cult culture of the United States. It is far too important to, to lose. So, vote. Beautifully said. Thanks so much for chatting with us today, Dan and Jay. Is there a way for people to contact you if they want to get in touch? Sure, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at, at J-A-Y-T-R-O-O-P, J-Troop. And um, you can also then hit us up uh, for the Pandora stuff. The best thing to do is hit us at amp-support at pandora.com. It's amp-support at pandora.com. And honestly, that's not like a random help person who I don't know and have never talked to. I work on those emails. I know every person on that team that does. We work really hard to, to, to support folks with questions there. Um, so if you need help with any of your cases with Amp Marketing or anything Pandora related, shoot us an email. Yeah, um, glad Jay plugged AMP support. Um, for me, Twitter is just at Dan Wissinger. Uh, I'll definitely reply to DMs. So 
hit me up about whatever. Cool. That's it. Thanks so much, guys. This is fun. Yeah, thank you, guys. You guys are really good at this. Yeah, it's a blast. Great to talk about all this stuff with y'all. How Music Charts is written and produced by Jason Hoven and Rutger Rosenborg. Special thanks to Dan Wissinger and Jay Troop from Pandora. By the way, don't forget to check out our new Pandora integration on Chartmetric. Free Chartmetric accounts are available at chartmetric.com and podcast notes are at blog.chartmetric.com. You can also subscribe there for additional insights delivered to your inbox right after we publish. Follow our thoughts on our LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, all at Chartmetric. That's Chartmetric, no S. That's it. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.